This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys, today on the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Travis Kunze and Lucas Gindel. Uh, I met Travis and Lucas at the Wellness Way in Green Bay when I was visiting with Dr. Patrick Flynn. Uh, when I was there, we had a, f- a fun conversation and it revolved around psychology. Travis is a psychology master student. Uh, eventually sounds like he'll be working on his doctorate there. Lucas is a, a chiropractor student interning at the Wellness Way. Uh, I believe he's almost done with that program, uh, at which point he'll be a chiropractor graduate as well. Um, but his foundation or his initial schooling was in psychology as well. So we all have this common bond, this interest in that world. Uh, and I have a big part of that with this podcast or just on a personal level, things I've been interested in. So it's fun to hear from them and chat with them, hear some of their history, bounce some ideas off of them. Um, and then I thought I should mention that this podcast, if you have a younger listener may not be the right fit for them. We get into certain topics that may not be comfortable for certain amounts of folks. So, uh, anyways, I enjoyed the podcast. I hope you guys do as well. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Travis Lucas, the reason I brought you guys here and we'll get into it right now is when I went down to interview and sit down with Dr. Flynn, we had an initial chat, right? Like we discussed about, uh, and it was about psychology. Travis, you're in psychology in the master's program right now. Are you in a bachelor's in psychology or where are you at in that? Um, so right now I'm working on my master's in psychology. I will be finished with that in June. Okay. And then in, uh, next December, I actually just got the approval letter for the doctorate program. Oh, cool. Uh, and, and Lucas, you're a chiropractor or you're working on graduating as a chiropractor as well, but you said psychology was uh, a thing that you had initially gone down and eventually realized that wasn't maybe a good fit for you, which we'll get into, right? Yep. That's, that's pretty accurate. Um, I want to go down like the clinical psych route. Okay. Uh, you, you say you want to, or you want wanted to, wanted. Okay. Wanted. I gotcha. Um, so I want to explore both of that, but the reason I kind of thought this would be fun is we could explore psychology. That's a huge part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, just exploring the, the mindsets of the individual, uh, what makes a person passionate about what they're into, but also just character development, personal development. How do you see the world? The whole bit, right? It's just things that I'm interested in. So I thought it'd be fun, Travis, with your background and then even Lucas tying it into the chiropractic world. But first I'd like to hear, like I said, a little bit about your background, Lucas, and a little bit about your, about your background, Travis, like why psychology and why chiropractic and why the initial psychology pursuit for you, Lucas, and, and why it wasn't a good fit. So either way, let, Travis, why don't we go with you first and say on the psychology realm, what brought you towards that and, and what has that been like and why have you pursued that? Yeah, so originally my intent with psychology was to get into criminal profiling. Um, I come from a law enforcement family, and so my goal was to go into law enforcement and be able to do... Um, basically live like, I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show Criminal Minds. Where uh, familiar. It's, uh, yeah, behavioral yeah. analysis unit and them doing profiles to catch you know serial killers and stuff like that. Huh. 
um, kind of along those lines. That was my main focus. So I started off taking some psychology classes while I was working on my associates in criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with just psychology in general, like understanding the human mind, how we think, how we perceive things. Um, when my career choice kind of changed away from law enforcement, I decided to focus more on general psychology mm-hmm. with the intent of still working in profiling, but for more than just the criminal side of things, but also in um, like business psychology or health psychology. Uh, and so that's why I'm working on my master's now in general psychology. I actually already do a lot of counseling for people, even though I'm not technically certified yet. It's mm-hmm. kind of one of those when you know what you know and people know that you know it, they want to they want to have those deep conversations about it. And yeah, um, so that has made for an interesting experience, kind of already getting like a, a teaser into what the future looks like with that. Right. Um did yeah. you did you uh, i'll ask a few follow-up questions as we're going or even just cutting you off right now i just curious as a kid did you have that did you have people that would naturally come to you like were you naturally the person that people would come to you and say hey this is something i'm dealing with what do you think whatever it might be um not really but i wasn't so i didn't have a lot of uh necessarily like huge social interaction outside of my siblings okay my siblings were probably the people closest to me okay growing up um we were all three homeschooled mm-hmm. um and so while you know while i did sports and i did church activities and stuff like that i didn't develop any two like major close friendships until later on in life sure um i would say when i did start to develop those kind of relationships though that there, there was those times we'd have those deeper conversations where it would be for more of more of the inside of what my thoughts and viewpoints were on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but obviously when I was younger, I was also very different from where I am now. I had no idea what I wanted to do back then. I had no idea of the conception of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I would say not as much as I do now. Sure. Sure. And circumstance and maybe just not diving or not, becoming the person that you are today right until later in in life right yeah i truly i just i didn't i probably was because i didn't care at that point sure so sure huh and then so now in the master side of thing and then the doctor side of things do you have a focus that you're you're honing in on is that or is it normal to have a focus is it normally to be more broad or what does that path look like and then for you yeah what is that focus if you do have one yeah so my focus with this is so i would like to be able to still use psychology in taking down criminal operations. So my big focus is taking down trafficking rings um, throughout the United States and being able to use the psychology aspect both for profiling and focusing on obviously finding these rings so that they can be taken down, but also being able to then counsel the people who were literally slaves to these operations Hmm. and bring them back into a, a safe place because more often than not, when you're a victim to something like that, you you lose all confidence, you lose all boldness, you don't value yourself anymore because oftentimes they're kids that were taught that they have no value other than whatever the slave trader decided they wanted them to do. Right. right. And so that's that's my big focus when it comes to psychology, being able to incorporate that also into people understanding the connection between both the physical and mental health mm-hmm. and how those two really correlate with each other. Sure. I think is really important because too often in all medical fields, we end up separating things out where you can only have one focus on that and that's it. They don't factor in, hey, this has something to do with it too. Right. And so I I think we need to bring awareness to that so that way we can start truly identifying the root causes of most of both our physical and mental problems. Sure. 
Sure. And then that would hold true for the master's and the doctorate side of things. That's kind of what your focus is in that world. Yeah. Yeah. So my master's is in general psychology and my doctorate will be in general psychology. And I am potentially, it's still a long ways off, but potentially going to go for a second doctorate specifically in behavioral analysis after that. Okay. I gotcha. Um, and, and there's a tons of, ton of avenues that I like to explore there. We'll get to eventually. Lucas, for you, what was your introduction to psychology? Can you walk us through that and why, why wasn't it a good fit? Uh, so my introduction to psychology was just kind of a, a hard start, really, or okay. cold open, however you want to look at it. Um, so when I was in high school, I thought, hey, genetics would be cool, right? Mm -hmm. So that's genetics, like, depending on which area of psych you go, you could look at those as being intimately connected. I, I don't really look at those as being, you know, one causes the other. Sure. Um, although I understand the, you know, the principles there. Um, but anyways, it, it just ended up being what I thought I would be good at. Okay. Um, looking back at how I'd gone through life, I experienced a lot of bullying. Sure. Uh, like kindergarten to ninth grade level stuff. Mm -hmm. And that had a pretty significant effect on me. Right. Um, I mean, my, I remember talking to my mom and she really, very clearly remembers watching the personality change. And it's very difficult to change people's personality. Mm -hmm. You either have to consistently break them down or they have to have significant life events, which require a certain degree of breaking them. Okay. Um, those are really the only times you have core personality changes. Right. I don't think that really happened to me as much, but there's a definite where I was versus where I ended up sure. uh, in terms of you know, how I interact with people or didn't, um, thought about myself, treated myself, other people, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's even tons of avenues to go down there too. Uh -huh. Just because just thinking about the fact that uh, just spitballing is that you probably change from hey bullying starting here and ending here you become more reserved more quiet more shutting down whatever it might be mm -hmm. and it takes you however many years to get back to who you truly are potentially right oh yeah i didn't start coming to... out of that until 17 yeah so like it stopped at ninth i began to become more social yeah around 10th grade okay uh it was very awkward i didn't really have certain social skills i worked better with adults by yeah. comparison like sure. I mean, for crying out loud it uh, was it 14? I was eating dinner with generals and colonels, hmm. having perfectly fine conversations. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just average interactions with people my age, like outcasts and or very particular people were the only ones I really connected with. Sure. Um, and that's something that you carry forward. Like you, oh, yeah. you go through those things. And when you begin to move back into a healthy state, which for me really required a lot of spiritual development. Okay. Because also at 17 is when I got pulled into a youth group. Uh, and that's where people both my age, but also older took very different roles in how they approached me mm -hmm. and began engaging counseling and helping. Sure. Um, at the, you know, my peers level, having both a very open acceptance while also pushing on, I understand you struggle with that. That's not something to stay in. Sure. Like having that, that fine balance of acceptance without tolerance. Mm -hmm. Um, that really helped a lot. And then of course, having people speaking into my life, older people, um, right. you know, mentors basically, because dad was out of the house for five years traveling for work. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have, and, and this was you know pretty early on in my experience for bullying and mom also worked full time. Sure. Granted, she had more flexibility with her schedule, but it was basically me and mom for five years and dad on the weekends. Yeah. Um, so I lacked a lot of good identity 
uh, grounding things because mm-hmm. men need men to raise them. Right. Just at the end of the day, like boys without fathers will always struggle. Mm-hmm. And I want to be specific on that in that the the total lack of male figure will definitely cause a lot of damage. Yeah, there's some guys that figure out ways around it, but you can still do your comparative studies and it's like, eh, mm-hmm. outcomes aren't always the best. Right. Um, right. But thankfully at 17, granted late to the party, but nonetheless had people doing that for me. And so from that, it helped to push and form this idea of, well, maybe psychology would be the route for me. Yeah. Like maybe I can help do more of what I experienced in a way mm-hmm. for other people. Right. And, and later on in life, like shortly later on in life, um, about 18 or so, I ended up visiting a counselor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was specifically a Christian counselor. I think she was from Wheaton College, uh, master in psych. Mm-hmm. She helped me immensely. I saw her for like two years. Right. Very wonderful. Um, really helped to both challenge and encourage. Yeah. Uh, and that just helped to, again, kind of push me a little bit deeper in that. Right. So I entered community college thinking, let's start off, take the, you know, much cheaper route and still good. Like community college, fantastic. I swear mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started there and my intro to psych class, which was really one of the only classes I could take at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, I took far more. Um, but that really just wet my appetite and really like, yeah, let's, let's get into this. Hmm. Um, what ended up pushing me out of the psych path, I think it was the introduction to personality psychology class. Okay. I can't remember. I took like a whole bunch in one, tri- in one trimester. Oh, <laughs> semester, semester. Yeah. Um, it was during that, that second round of classes where my professor told a story of a guy that uh, received a court-ordered case of um of a man that had murdered his wife, mm-hmm. uh, cut her up and left her in the trunk level stuff. Really horrible. Right. Um, it was eight <clears throat> weeks of, you know, court-ordered counseling, figure mm-hmm. out, all right, well, how unhealthy is this man? Right. <laughs> Evident, I would say, but I digress. Uh, and that, that story left an impression upon me because at the end of that process, that guy retired. Like, he's getting close to retirement anyways, yeah. but he hard retired after that. And I took a step back and I asked some questions of myself of if I have someone to walk in with that, will I be able to, you know, properly serve them or will other things get in the way? Will I shift from a, you know, a psychologist's role mm-hmm. to being more, you know, personally involved. And at that time I was also getting involved in youth ministry okay. because again, that was a huge impact on my life. Right. So I wanted to return that back. Um, a lot of kids loved me, um, especially those that went through similar things as me. Mm-hmm. You know, the the outcasts, the oddballs, the weirdos. Right. Those are the people I connected with yeah. very well. And in that, I, I recognized two other things about myself, which are very dangerous com- combinations for counselors to have. Okay. Namely, you take on other people's burdens mm-hmm. and you have difficulty setting what we just call work boundaries. Okay. Because um, I'm... And Travis, you can speak to that. I'm very personable. I will be yes, your friend in very within so. a day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It didn't take long for us to kind of connect with each other. Mm-hmm. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done. Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and back-end solutions. 
As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Right. And there's probably a reason we're sitting here today. I yeah. was walking through the break room and you're like, Hey, Lucas, this is Logan. Logan, this is Lucas. And we have a conversation right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, easy for me and easy for you. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there's a reason that that happened for sure. Right. So yeah. I think that speaks to that same thing, but so because that makes total sense. And I, I I've considered myself pursuing a psychology role, going through a, a bachelor's master's, becoming a therapist, whatever it might be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just for the sake of learning and the joy of learning. It hardly doesn't even make sense. But anyways, um, I can see that. I don't think I could fit that either. Like mm-hmm. you say that and A, I have a hard time setting boundaries and absolutely, uh, same deal, right? Take on other people's burdens maybe. I, don't, I guess I'd have to explore that. But Yeah, and it's something that you can, can learn how to control yeah. and learn how to deal with. But again, that's a personal like question you've got to answer. Right. Could I do this? And the route that you take in psych very much matters yeah like are you going to be a psychiatrist are you going to be more of a therapist are you going to be clinical psych like mm-hmm. what route are you taking because all these are going to interact with people differently right yeah and i think that's part of why my focus <laughs> in psychology is not so much on the uh treatment mm-hmm. aspect of everything because i am one of those people so i tend to have very much an empath tendency where I feel everybody else's emotions. Someone can look like they are happy mm-hmm. and go lucky and <laughs> joyful, but if it deep down inside they're not doing well, I feel it. Yeah. I can feel it just by looking at them. And it's something that I've only kind of learned to adapt to over the last couple of years. Huh. And doing the little bit of counseling that I do now, that can be one of the hardest parts about it is counseling to them is very difficult because what they're going through, I get it, I feel it. Right but I have to be able to push that aside to give them wisdom and knowledge, not emotional reaction to okay. it. That's that's the hard part about that is mm-hmm. when you are personable, you, you you just, you can't help it. You love and you care for people. Right. You want to, you want the best for them. And sometimes that means you want to go and you want to kick ass for them, even though mm-hmm. that's not the right answer. Right. right. I mean, I had an exact experience like that with one of the girls from community college that she fit in the, the oddball like category, a little mm-hmm. bit of the outcast, if you will. Um, and maybe that's not the best description, but it's, it's what I'm going to have to run with for now. Sure. Um, nice girl, but very emotionally, uh, I want to be careful when I say driven. Okay. She's very susceptible to emotions, to feelings, really. Right. Um, and there's a guy that she liked. You know, they seemed to connect. Like she felt like there was a connection and interest, interaction, et cetera. And, you know, she came to me for some advice not an unusual thing. I was basically mm. like the student counselor without being the student counselor. Right. Right. Uh, when I was in that community college and over the next three days, this girl is trying at the end of the day, she was looking for someone to give her an emotional assurance of you're right, or this is wrong or, you know, affirming what she's feeling. Right. And it took me, you know, those three days to really see that, that she was looking for me to affirm those feelings yeah when i told her look you're hitting a point where you're obsessing about this guy you need to let this go Mm -hmm. she insulted me and just cut it haven't talked to her since Hmm. um that was a difficult thing on my side to do because i I didn't want to take that step of Mm -hmm. you know laying that down and and risking something but 
if you don't tell someone something hard and if you aren't willing to do that you do them a disservice because you may very well be leaving them in something worse right right that's man every statement you guys make like a thousand things come to mind because there's so many rabbit holes you could go down but one of the thought processes i've been going through like of what fires my brain up for psychology it's a few different things and i'm just curious how this relates to you guys yeah um have you guys read man's search for meaning by victor frankel are you guys familiar Logo i haven't Therapy. read that one i think I, I know the title um yeah the the name is familiar i i think so okay i haven't read it but i i got enough to to know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's a recent book that I've read, so I've talked about a lot about it lately. But anyways, it, essentially the thought process that a man's search for meaning is what gives somebody purpose in life. That's what makes them happy or fulfilled or whatever it might be. And there's kind of three ways, and I'll try to break it down, is one is through uh, an experience or an event. Uh, excuse me, let me think. It's like through experiencing something or somebody, loving somebody, whatever it might be, yep. uh, loving a place, experiencing a place. But then number two is... Um, <clears throat> through your career, finding what your true ultimate calling is and what's unique to you and what's unique to you uh, and, and, and really finding that role and pursuing that role and fulfilling that role. Like that's where you find meaning. Uh, or the third is through uh, like bravely facing unavoidable horrible challenges mm -hmm. basically once you eliminate the first two the being able to experience somebody or love somebody or do something or experience something great and what's your calling what's your purpose and then you end up in the extreme like concentration camp type thing is how do you face that and and, and in that adversity mm -hmm. uh finding meaning in the adversity itself for some greater calling um that to me really speaks to me and i feel like partially even fits what the podcast is about is like finding hey what are you passionate about what do you care about um and and within that do you find a way that you're unique and you can make that either your life calling or just something to focus on in your life or give you purpose or give you meaning because everybody is unique in that aspect right mm -hmm. uh so i think that's a huge part of it that i appreciate but then also with that is the uh, even listening to a podcast re recently about like uh, psychoanalysis or psychoanalytical work with Freud. And again, you guys are way beyond me in this stuff. This is just super ah, good old Freud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, the, the thought process of like, we are so blind to who we truly are inside, right? Mm -hmm. Across the board, some of us more than others. But if you can take the moment to sit back and reflect, and maybe it's through diligent work, or maybe it's just through other conversations, these kind of conversations, I don't know, maybe um, of realizing you don't necessarily know why you do things or what you're doing them for. And you may have some huge defense mechanisms that uh, put themselves in your life over and over and over again. And it's like, how much value and benefit could you give somebody by like working with them and getting them through that? And how much value could you add to their relationships? How much value could it add to their circles? Um, and, and again, being that person that can maybe tell these people these hard truths, it just feels like there's so much value there. Because I see mostly good in the world but also there's a ton of struggle and strife and abuse and neglect mm -hmm. and that i feel like within all those people if you can make like a trend of digging inside and who are we and am i abuser and am i this person or whatever it might be how much value can you get from that like that i guess both of those things really speak to me like what is your purpose and what is your calling and how can you find who you are and who you want to be through intentional thinking and thought and reflection or work or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Does that fit you guys at all? Is that, does that speak to you or what's the... so do you want to sound off first Travis or me? Cause I've always got a reply ready. Okay. Go for it. Okay. Um, so those three things are nice, Yeah. but if they're being drawn from an internal position, then they ultimately only have as much meaning as you can sustain giving them. And that's not sustainable, especially for the human who is inherently a limited creature. Okay. What happens when the person that you love dies? 
what happens when your work ends or you can't work? Right. What happens when you can't find more challenges? Yeah. Back to square one. Right. Like those things are nice. They can help to give somebody some steps forward, mm-hmm. but they are insufficient in and of themselves. Hmm. And I'd make the same argument that looking internal for my identity will yield a very similar thing. Sure. Because a a creature doesn't define itself. It can try to define itself, but right. when it begins to engage in that behavior, mm-hmm. if it doesn't have an externally rooted anchor, something outside of itself, mm-hmm. its identity is as malleable, weak, or strong as its own mentality. And okay. let's be honest, who doesn't break down? Sure. And so I, I'm like, I'm with you, but with a caveat yeah. of people need a source of identity that's rooted outside themselves, mm-hmm. but still speaks into and or imparts and recognizes their uniqueness. Sure. And so this is where I would just, you know, make the God plug right. of you, you have all those things wrapped up right there. Sure. You've got something which gives you purpose and it's purpose that you don't like, it's not dependent on you. Right. Like you engage in it, you explore it. It's given to you to discover and to open up more of that, mm-hmm. but it's not something that you can take away from yourself. Sure. Uh, it's not something people can take away from you. You know, searching for calling. I mean, you've got that right there again. Like, what? Like, yes, you're a human, and there's a, a general purpose all humans have right. given by God. And yet you as an individual, how is it that you're going to interact with that purpose? Not only have you focused the mind, but you've opened it up even more. And then just on the identity route, you know, that one's very powerful. And that's how I really kept from going off a, going off a deep end, but also B, what helped to pull me back in mm-hmm. was bringing it back down to you are made this way. You are valuable, not because other people say you're valuable, but because something outside of you says you're valuable. Mm-hmm. And this is the measurement of that value. Like sitting in that, meditating on that really helped to break and pull me out of those things. Okay. Other people helping to push that forward was a critical element as well. Right. And so we kind of bring it back to that uh, that first part of Man's Search for Meaning, like who do you love? Mm-hmm. That's also given a definition within that framework. Sure. Who do you love? What's the best way to love them? Which would also pull me back to, you have to be willing to tell them hard things because mm-hmm. they're worth saying those hard things too. Right. Because someone and something loves them deeply and they're a very meaningfully made creature. That's worth a lot. Right, right. So that's... That's what I put out there. What about, uh, and Travis will let you hop in in a second, Lucas, what about for the, uh, the whole mindset of the, like helping people on a broader scale, think on, on a intact or a internal level and have mm-hmm. these thoughts and like, should I treat my brother this way or whatever? I mean, you know what I mean? Cause a lot of people go through life. I feel like never even considering these things. Right. Right. Uh, and that seems to be a, a draw for me or a pull for me. What about that side of it? Do you, does that connect to you at all? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that is valuable again it needs to have an external root sure because what about you being my brother carries the meaning and the effect that i should treat you a certain way sure like we can say well that's how you should treat your brother why right what's so powerfully driving about that that a person should respect it now even if we separate the god element Mm -hmm. and we just try to narrow it in i think you lose a lot of the power a lot of the teeth a lot of the oomph behind Mm -hmm. it but if it's, you know, the reality of the universe is that even when you try to separate those things from it, they still carry weight mm-hmm. by all means. 
are they going to be driven forward in the same way? No, but they're still valuable. They're still true. And ergo, there's still power in that. Mm -hmm. And so doing what can be done to impart that to a person is good. Sure. Like, this is your fellow man. He's meant to be treated a certain way. Right. She's meant to be treated a certain way. And we can pull that over into the trafficking element. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and I do want to touch on the trafficking in a second here, Travis, but that with the man search for meaning, he does talk about even what happens when the person dies. Right. And he gives mm -hmm. people strategies or ways to work through that is like, mm -hmm. that's again, the ultimate sacrifice and how do you face that? And right. basically saying, hey, everyone's got to die. Right. And basically saying, Hey, thank goodness it was you because if it wasn't you, she would have to have bared that burden of the struggle of, of not being there. So that's your current mm -hmm. purpose is that you were meant to carry this burden so that your wife didn't have to, or your husband didn't have to. Right. right. So there's things like that, but I, I do understand what you're saying there. As far as that goes, that there may be some, some traps there that mm -hmm. could lead you down some, some roads. And just to make sure that's right. Like, is there anything else within that? Do you feel like I, I gave you enough on that? Is there something else you'd want to push on? No, test I, out I think we could push and test a lot of it. Well, of course, uh, which I would enjoy doing and we'll see what time allows. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think, I think you did well. Okay. Yeah. Just don't want to leave any like loose ends. Yeah. Too loose. No appreciate that uh travis what about you that side of things and again uh, that must be the beauty of psychology right or this whole field is that like i'm drawn towards i'd say maybe these two things and this could change next month i don't oh, know but currently this is where i'm at it could be different for everybody right mm -hmm. but anyways travis for you what's does that do those two things speak to you at all or is it uh, i guess what's your feedback on that well, so overall, I tend to agree with a lot of what Lucas said. I think another thing that we have to kind of think about is that we are always striving to find and understand why. Mm -hmm. Like the the simple question of why did I deserve this? You know, maybe you got a maybe you got a really nice raise at work, and even though you're happy, you're joyful for it, you 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 appreciate it. There's that subconscious part of you that's like, okay, what did I do? Mm -hmm to deserve to receive this raise what was the reason for it same thing in reverse when it's something negative um you know when i ended up in a coma last year and dealing with severe health issues and everything when i finally got to go home uh, the big question for me was why god mm -hmm. why again because this wasn't the first time i dealt with being at death's doors i was like why why do i keep going through all of this and we're all, so we're always striving to understand. We're always striving to have a reason to continue to pursue, to continue to try, to continue to figure out what is going on. If we don't have that reason, we get stuck in this place of it's not worth it. It's mm -hmm. not valuable. We're in this loop of why bother? Mm -hmm. Nihilism ahoy. Right. Yeah. And right. so uh, I think I, I, so I agree with Luke in that we have to have that almost that it's like a foundation of giving us the reason why we should keep going and like luke for me god is god is my my focus sure um it is literally my faith in god that has kept me from falling off a very deep path in the very dark points of my life yeah um it is god that has put the right people in my life that has pulled me out of some very stupid decisions that sure. i have made in my life <laughs> mm -hmm. um uh. and put me on a better path i mean not long ago, I was going in a direction that I could have ended up spending more of my life in jail than anything else. Sure. And it was dealing with the right people and having my life turned around that put me more on the right path of doing the right thing and being able to focus more on being able to help others. Yeah. Because I didn't understand at the time what my what was my passion, what was my calling. Mm -hmm. And I realized the one thing I love to do the most is be there for others, hmm. to help others. And so then the next question became, what do I need to do 
to make that happen. And is that tie into the traffic trafficking side of things or where did that come from? I mean, obviously it's a, a great thing to go down, but I'm just curious if you have a, a, a thing that drew you towards that. Yeah. Um, so the trafficking thing. So when I learned just how crazy the trafficking situation in our world is today, I was beyond furiated. Um, I learned about it going to a my very first Remedy Drive concert. Um, the lead singer was actually talking about, so when he's not on tour, he works with a nonprofit organization called the Exodus Road, mm-hmm. and their focus is literally running private operations to take down trafficking rings across Asia, Africa. They've started doing some operations in the U.S., hmm. but they're very limited by the the government power that holds them back with all the rules and regulations regarding everything. Sure. And... If you're like me, you know that unfortunately it's a lot of those political figures and celebrities and everyone that are guilty of uh, taking advantage of trafficking opportunities. Okay. Um, because trafficking happens in the U.S. so much more than people realize. That's why. That's why security ends up going up so high for events like the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is a huge place for trafficking sales. I mean, it's whether it's getting or selling. Yeah. Both happen immensely. Hmm. Yeah, whether it's selling services or buying more material, right? It's it's bad, and people are clueless about it because nobody focuses on it. You know, at one point, um, Green Bay temporarily had a trafficking task force um, because with being in Green Bay, we're right there along the dock. We've got all of the ships that all the time. Same in Milwaukee, and so we had a a anti trafficking task force for a little while. And then when all of the political figures changed, that task force suddenly went away. It was considered not useful Hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I've spent nights sitting down watching the dock and everything. And while I have not witnessed actual trafficking activity, I have witnessed activity that makes you wonder what's actually going on down there. Um, You know, it's like seeing people bring in these shipping containers that only come in at night at a very specific time when the normal workforce is gone. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what's actually in those shipping containers? Because it's not just people that are trafficked. It's everything is trafficked. People, drugs, weapons, in and out of the United States, everywhere. Mm -hmm. With Merchant of Death being back on on business, that's going to really upregulate. Right. So so that's that, that concert... And then, so I, then I took the time to actually reach out to the lead singer and I've developed a relationship with him learning more about it and really understanding it more. And I was like, you know what, as far as people goes, it's mostly young children and a lot of women, um, who are trafficked and Mm -hmm. nobody's helping them out. Right. It's someone's got to put their foot down. And so that's part of my goal. And my focus is developing a business structure in working in entertainment which is ironic because entertainment and media there's a lot of trafficking that goes on in that industry (laughs) but it's also one of the biggest uh financial income industries and so i'm developing my business so that i'm working in media film television music all of that Mm -hmm. in order to have the financial income to support an organization that can go further in taking down trafficking operations within the united states sure is I mean, it uh go ahead lucas do you have something oh i mean and this is something that we talked about in the car but it's just useful to put out there like the i-80 truck stop in iowa you know largest truck stop mm-hmm. in it's either the world or just america probably the world um that's one of the hubs for trafficking in america like that's right. that's a major pipeline 
Yeah. And isn't, so I lived in Western North Dakota for a while. You got I-94 corridor. For some reason, I thought I heard that's a huge trafficking corridor that runs east and west from North Dakota down in through Chicago, I guess coast it would coast. be. Yeah. Major airports all in the line. Right. But is it, I'm so on, so unfamiliar, right? I mean, I'm familiar that it's, it's there. And like you said, you mm-hmm. told me these stats, I'm not even surprised because obviously I've got some exposure to it. Yeah. Um, but is it typically like what type of people are being trafficked? Is it like homeless, low income? That's typically it. Everyone's or is it a like, yeah, I mean, everyone's a target, but they definitely, if they focus a lot on kids, because then they're easily manipulated into believing that what is happening isn't wrong. Okay. That's the normal. Right. They're still psychologically moldable. Right. right. And then women, women is the big one because sex trafficking is just, it's, it's huge. Right. All, all your, uh, all your brothels throughout other countries, you would actually be surprised how many American women are stuck there mm-hmm. because that's where they were trafficked to. Right. Because in other countries, brothels aren't illegal. Yeah. You can go and you can buy your sex services and the government doesn't care. Heck, most of their law enforcement and political figures are enjoying the services themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I feel like you just feel like you're, you're saying this. I just feel the weight of it, like mm-hmm. burying me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, for what it's worth, just to push that one harder, let, I'll hit you with two things. Sure. One, more people are in sexual slavery today than were in the, you know, the shadow slavery of the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Numerically, more people are enslaved than have really ever been before, in, like in human history. Right. And yet slavery is abolished. Mm-hmm. Although Saudi Arabia was late to the party. I think it took until the 70s to <laughs> abolish Wait. slavery. Yeah. But that's, I don't want to say that's neither here nor there. It's just a little put that out there right um, well and to give you another idea so i think it was back in probably somewhere around 2010 2011 when i found out about the trafficking stuff mm -hmm. and that the time the statistics said that it was roughly 80 million some people across the world that were being trafficked Mm -hmm. it's suggested now that it's probably double to triple that number unreal Mm -hmm. it was 92 to 95 when i was in community college yeah um because one of the things that I did um, for one of my classes, it was supposed to be persuasive speech, and I wanted to, you know, do it on the harms of pornography. Okay. Because a lot of people look at pornography as being a very harmless thing. Sure. Keep in mind that's no different than a media outlet, um, and I'll just call it Pornhub. Like they're finally getting some of their crap under control. I'd prefer to see it completely destroyed and all data, you know, from it erased from history. But sure, that's wishful thinking. But human trafficking is a huge. Um, thing on there because mm-hmm. you can't tell who's a willful participant. Right. And it's very easy to submit stuff, get it past a couple, you know, filters, blocks, you know, what's what's the process <laughs> for getting something approved, an approval process? Oh, I don't yeah. know. Anyways. Probably not much of anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... The pornography industry really does enable a lot of human trafficking because it's mm-hmm. very easy to use one person over and over and over and produce material for a very long time. Yeah. And you can disseminate it to infinitely more customers than you can via a brothel, for example. Right. 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 It, yeah. It, yeah. Trafficking literally feeds the porn industry. Most of the people that are involved in trafficking videos 99% of the time it's they are being forced to either whether it's by threats to their families whether they are being drugged with drugs that makes it easier to manipulate them mm-hmm. um, so that they're clueless as to what's going on it's just it's it's disgusting what is happening and the fact that 
like I said, no one does anything about it. I mean, yes, we're starting to see more of an impact on combating porn in the U.S. a little bit more, not a lot, a little bit. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that everyone, everyone's tied to it in some way in, or at some point in their life has been exposed to it because it's just so freely open everywhere. Mm, right. And another thing that people don't consider as far as the health aspect to those who view porn is that you are not only screwing with your mental health, you're screwing with your physical health too, because mm-hmm. you're constantly changing how your body is reacting based off of your mindset and what you're doing with your body, whether it's masturbating, you know, whatever it is. And it, it screws with your health. Mm-hmm. It screws with your mental health. It screws with your physical health. It causes all sorts of problems. Your social health. Taking your social health. Well. Yeah. Right. So I had a, a raging pornography addiction for very, uh, three very solid years of my life. And it's, it's given me problems ever since. Like, sure. Life has gotten significantly better. Like that addiction is broken. But I can tell when I'm you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Because that, that temptation, that desire to go back to that starts coming back up. But I got hit with that when I was like 12 turning 13. Sure. And it, I was already like, again, socially and mentally unhealthy just for what I was going through. And a a lot of, I mean, it's like 95% of men have been exposed to or are actively using pornography. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's inundated society. Right. And it's encouraged and, or just, it's given like a a soft tap on the hand of like, eh, whatever, let, you know, let people have their funds. Let boys be boys. Right. Right. Which I only really encounter that it's kind of like weird how I encounter that from time to time. It's like, mm-hmm. it's very inconsistent. Right. <laughs> um, but anyways, like that addiction started off very quote unquote innocent. And I hate even associating that word. Right. But it started off with the, you know, the, the soft core stuff, mm-hmm. but physiology is physiology. And, and I can bring some of the, the doctor side in, into mm-hmm. here. Not that I'm yet a doctor. It's February, but when you're exposed to like visual stimuli and for men we have stronger neural connections for visual centers Mm -hmm. than women do by comparison um that visual stimuli of pornography really hits our brain hard it has a almost identical if not stronger effect as cocaine Hmm. all right that's a hardcore drug pornography is like literally cocaine in the eyeball right Mm -hmm. um it activates all the same centers. The dopamine response is very similar and the brain can only take so much dopamine before it starts to shut down dopamine receptors, downregulate them, or even start actively destroying receptors. Hmm. Like your brain cannot take that much dopamine. And the thing about pornography is that you can just keep consuming it and consuming it. And just like any other drug or addictive behavior, your body will demand more mm-hmm. in order to get a similar response. At some point in time, your brain is going to quite literally destroy its dopamine pathways to keep from getting poisoned. Yeah. The issue is you're also driving pleasure from that at a physiological level. Regardless of your quote-unquote mental relationship to it, the body's still the body. Your mind resides within the body, however you want to quantify that. Mm-hmm. The two have to learn to live together. And that body will at some point in time really only have dopamine pathways that are stimulated by pornography. Hmm. At my lowest point, I was consuming eight hours sure. of hardcore pornography. That destroyed a significant amount of just me. Right. I, or I don't want to use the word destroyed, damaged. I, that significantly damaged me. Yeah. Uh, my ability to relate to women, like it's a lot of it's recovered, like quite a bit. And mm-hmm. I, I, I seriously credit, like, you know, being active and pursuing God as He is 
for that. Sure. Like there, there is hope, there is restoration in that. Right. By all means. But I still carry a lot of those scars. Um, social skills didn't develop because a lot of implicit expectations came alongside that. I couldn't think straight, quite literally. Right. And at some point in time, I you know, wrestled with a lot of identity issues because of that. Mm-hmm. Because it was just inundated in my life like that. Now, some people would be tempted to say, oh, well, you really went to the extreme. Like Extremes just accelerate things. Mm-hmm. So I... it it will significantly shift someone's physiological responses. Um, They did experiments using butterflies. Very simple creatures, right? Right. And what is called a supranatural stimulus, and this is exactly what pornography falls under. But they took a male butterfly and they gave it two options for mating. Mm -hmm. And they they conducted this, obviously, not just with one butterfly. It was a scientifically sound study from what I remember. And they gave it the option of mating with a real, live, living female butterfly you know, the actual experience, the whole process, all of it's right there and available. Mm -hmm. Or trying to mate with a fake female butterfly, but with accentuated um, colors, features, etc. The males generally, and when I say generally, I really should say majority of the time, preferred the accentuated female. Sure. Mm -hmm. Now, humans, we have another layer of reasoning and we can engage in the world differently. Mm -hmm. But at what point in time are you quite literally destroying your ability to connect physically with another human being. Right. Right. Yep. And then this ties into where we're going with today's world with social media, mm-hmm. because you look at social media, social media is literally another platform for porn. Right. Yeah. I mean, you go through, you scroll through watching TikTok videos. I guarantee every other to every third video is usually of a woman who's in a bikini that is barely hiding anything at all. Right. Same thing on Instagram. And then you can, you can filter around them. You can get it so that those things pop up less and less on your feeds. Mm-hmm. But when you're first getting started, hmm. nope, right. it's all right there. It's right there in front of your face. It's a temptation that leads to an addiction. And like he said, it's it's just as damaging of an addiction as a typical drug addiction, mm-hmm. alcohol addiction. Every like every addiction is unhealthy, whether it is a drug, because people people are like, oh, you can't get addicted to anything but drugs or but alcohol. No, everything can be an addiction if that's where you focus and what you're stuck on. Right. Video right. games are an addiction. Mm-hmm. Television's an addiction. Chocolate is an addiction. That's a whole other topic that we can right. really get into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so that's the thing is we like, you have to be able to identify what you're addicted to in order to be able to find the root cause of the addiction and honestly treat that addiction. Sure. Really an addiction is just unhealthy use. I'm not even going to say relationship, unhealthy use of otherwise healthy things in unhealthy ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we we can all agree that sex and sexuality are good things. Mm -hmm. Pornography is not a good way to interact with those things. Like that does not give them like the honor, the respect, the regard, the, the beauty that's inherent in those things. Right, right. Um, you're, you know, you're married. Mm-hmm. I'd assume that your wife is, you know, the love of your life. Absolutely, right, right. Um, there, there's a reality to your relationship with her that cannot, will not, or ever be replicated in you know, anything pornographic. Right, And right. yet people will say, well, you can dip your tone of that world, just don't get addicted doesn't really matter like you still took a hit of a hard drug the body's going to remember that also 
just from the mental aspect, you're going to remember that. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time, those images are you're going to start mixing and flipping. And it's difficult, not impossible, difficult to work past and around those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have girlfriends. So I have, I've dated te- technically twice in my life. And I can say that those, those experiences, just from pornography, made it difficult even in the relationship sense. Yeah. Just, just having a normal, healthy relationship with another person. Not even sexual, just relating to. Right, right. That was difficult. Um, yeah, and I think it's also important for us to make it clear, like, guys, and honestly, people don't realize this, women get addicted to pornography, too. It's mm-hmm. not just a male thing. Women, was women deal with the same thing. Was it 65 or 85%? It's definitely lower than men. It's a lot lower. Yeah, it's a lot lower than but men. But it's over half. But I think it's important for us to to point out it's not it is not a bad thing to notice a beautiful woman or mu- notice a beautiful yeah. man. It's nothing wrong with that. It's where you go after that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Where do you let your brain take you after that? Because that's when the addiction begins. Is when it becomes an obsession. Right. And where you go with those thoughts and those feelings and actions and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, to kind of pull it back to something earlier you said of how do you you know love your brother or how do you you know treat that other person right the sexuality is one of those things in how you treat another person do you do you bring down the level of sexuality to a base instinct to this thing that you do an itch that you scratch or something that you dabble in do you bring it down to that level and inherently by extension bring the other sex down to that sure or do you separate do you restrain do you contain and allow in its proper expression those things right because this is that again that healthy expression of a good thing mm-hmm. there, there need to be boundaries on certain things mm-hmm. right right part of that that whole bit that you guys are, i mean this this whole thing though the addiction side of things whatever else does tie into this podcast it's called the obsessed podcast right mm-hmm. and there's absolutely a negative connotation there right and i thought quite a bit about that. My wife's like, Hey, there's a negative part of it. You like that? Cause obsession can be absolutely detrimental depending on how far it goes. Mm-hmm. And obviously it also fits the name as far as you're not going to say like, Hey, uh, mildly enthused, right? It right. doesn't work. <laughs> it but, doesn't carry uh, weight. <laughs> right. Uh, but anyway, so there's that part of it that I acknowledge and appreciate because it ties into the whole psychology side of things. Right. Cause I have a very addictive personality. Mm-hmm. Like I've been down some of these paths and I've yeah. figured out it's either all or nothing. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I am with everything. Right. And, with that, I, I feel like, and, and again, I think a lot of times we'll celebrate certain aspects of people or ways of doing that fit me because I maybe you just naturally want to celebrate yourself. I don't know. Anyways. Well, it makes it easier for you to recognize those things. Sure. And because it's something in you, you know how to appreciate it better or yeah. you're like, hey, I recognize that. I see what it's in my life. I love the fact that it's in your life too. Right. Let's connect over that. Yeah. But anyways. But, but for me, the the thought process or, the, or part of the thing I'm celebrating is the fact that a, I'm probably not very unique in the addictive side of things. It's, it's like you said, it's a human physiology thing, but there are degrees to it potentially is if you can take that same obsessiveness, addictive personality and apply it to positive things mm-hmm. for me. And the foundation of this podcast is mule deer hunting. I think it's awesome as long as it's not detrimental to your family or whatever else it right. might be. Right. Um, or apply it to work or whatever it might be again, within healthy boundaries. I think that is <clears throat> potentially a, a, a pretty big, recipe for success mm-hmm. uh so or happy healthy life or whatever it might be is celebrating that and, and leaning in on that and saying hey take that same tendency and apply it to this do you guys agree with that like is that a, is oh that yeah a thing? like yeah. for what it's worth and and again because it's easy to talk about but like 
you ought to be addicted to your wife. Sure. She right. ought to be your biggest dopamine hit. Right. Mm-hmm. That being said, she's not a supernatural stimulus. She doesn't destroy that in you. That's probably the healthiest expression of, and we're just going to continue with the language, but sure. like that obsession. Right. And, you know, perhaps a, a different word or different phrase would be, you know, good, like purposeful or, or something like that. Well, well, yeah. well uh, what's the word? Uh, committee, no thought, think tank. Well, anyways. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll think tank that. Um, yeah. But like the, Again, because dopamine's good, it's a natural physiological response. Mm -hmm. And again, we can talk about mind and body, and like obviously these things are connected, but there's some degree of separation there. It's weird, but those dopamine hits that the physiological this is good ought to be found in purposeful things. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason why you know a man building a house brings him great satisfaction. Yeah. On one hand, he's getting a dopamine hit. Why? Because he's engaging in a purposeful thing, mm-hmm. and that's where you know a lot of addictions are really things that have gone awry. Sure, good things gone about poorly. Right, a man ought to, and because we're men here, it's easier easier for us to talk about from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get less immediate dopamine from building something. It's hard work. It requires you to sacrifice things, but the end result, again, just at a physical level, brings a deeper level of satisfaction, and that helps to drive again at a physical level your pursuit of those things that if you will, that obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So the, even thinking about, I asked you about, Hey, I appreciate again, maybe this logo therapy side of things versus the, as well as the, just getting people to think on an intellectual or a psycho- psychological level. And you told the story about your professor who had this person who cut up his wife and that kind of, Hey, that was the end of him is, can you find a role within the world of psychology? And that kind of gets back to, Hey, there's the beauty of it, right? You mm-hmm. can go down the trafficking side of things, Travis or Lucas, you could have been whatever it might be is like, I, I, I feel a strong pull towards that, but I don't know that I feel the strong pull to working with the murderer or the serial killer or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That far extreme is like, I don't know if I'd be able to handle that and then move on from that is, I guess wanting to find a way to work within that, but be on more of the the positive life purpose type yeah. stuff, uh, as well as the more, yeah, again, the, the effectiveness of just getting yourself to think that way. I'm just trying, brainstorming, like, is there a psychological career path that fits that without having to be necessarily the working with a serial killer, for example. Travis, you want to take that or should I sound yeah. off? Yeah, so there, there there, definitely is because the wonderful thing about psychology is it's also, it's the wonderful thing, but it's also one of the things that makes it so conflicting for a lot of people Yeah, is that psychology is based simply off of philosophy. Right. And, you know, once you, if you remove the like biological aspect from the psychology foundation of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really comes down to what you choose to do with it. Um, you can choose to use psychology to focus on, like we, we've brought up uh, being youth leaders mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. You can choose to use the psychology aspect of everything to create a positive impact on youth. Mm-hmm. You can also choose to use the psychology impact, like you said, to work with psychotic individuals right um if that's the way you go right if that's the way that you choose to go so it it, with psychology that's the awesome thing is that you can go any route with it because it affects every part of life the mental health the physical health and i even would say that the spiritual health of everything all interlinks with each other in a way in which what you choose to do with your mental self is going to affect both the physical and the spiritual aspects of your life Mm mm-hmm 
And so if you think that you're someone who can stand up strong and deal with the the worst of the worst when it comes to the people that you work with, that's awesome. If you can handle the physical exhaustion of dealing with it, if you can handle the negativity and the the, the spiritual, darkness. yeah, the darkness that affects the spiritual and the physical aspect of it, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. For other people, it may be no, we would be better off focusing on a positive buildup. Sure. Um, and that's another thing is like businesses have started incorporating psychology professionals into their their structure a lot more, especially when it comes to like marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and some businesses do it in a, a manipulative way of how, what's the best way that we can attract someone and get them to look around what we don't actually have, but we're going to make it seem like we have, even though we say we're not actually having that. Mm-hmm. Or they use it in the development of their staff. Sure. So like where we work at the Wellness Way, we have a whole program called the Dignify Program. And it's literally about both a mixture of personal and professional developments that is done from a mental psychology perspective in developing yourself. The, the focus is in developing yourself to be, create a better you. One of the things that Dr. Patrick says all the time is that he doesn't really want us to necessarily be still working for him 10 years down the road. Right. He wants us to be able to strive and do more, to do better. And that's part of what the Signify program does is to help develop us and create a better version of ourselves. Right. And so, like I said, there's a huge variety in what you can do with the psychology profession. It really comes down to what are you going to define it for as yourself? Sure. Because here's sure. the thing. An interest doesn't have to become your sole purpose. Right. Just because you're interested in, say, woodworking or psychology or hunting, for example, that doesn't need to be what you build your life around. Mm-hmm. It can merely be an element of other things that you accomplish, complete, and do. Right. Because, right. like, in, in the living of life, your immediate purpose can change. Right. By all means. Like, I used to be a business major. I was working in a machine shop at, on the administrative side and doing process documentation. It was good work. I was paid well. I liked my coworkers. My boss was great. We did martial arts together, all the, all the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, beating up your boss is actually a good way of doing interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, anyways, uh, we, we rolled on the mat. It was great fun. Guy was great to work with, but... yeah. The, the business training that I got, like I I got a head for business. I yeah. enjoy business. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be doing, quote unquote, you know, the, those classic business things. I'm going to be a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. But the that previous passion for business, that previous interest, same thing with psychology, play perfectly into that, as far as I'm aware, going to be for the rest of my life work purpose as a chiropractor and and i wouldn't even say being a chiropractor is my purpose right like that's how that purpose is being fulfilled sure Mm -hmm. sure um but yeah let's get into that though actually because you had said before we got on divine intervention brought you towards being a chiropractor yeah can you get into that what do you mean by that yeah so uh, there's a they're basically like three two or three things all planned together at once depending how you divide it out okay but i was going the psych route, like I said, figured out that wasn't the best route. So my choice then was to go to business management, specifically arts mm-hmm. and management, and focus on human resources. Because I knew I had a head for people. And sure. I knew I cared about people, and I wanted to see people. I was driven, really, to see people do better, live better, be better, mm-hmm. right? And I looked at human resources as perhaps one way of doing that. Um, 
So I went down that route, graduated, you know, got hired on at the machine shop. It's like, okay, well, this is a good stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And I was looking to other things at, the, at that time. Um, while all that's going on, I was also dating a young lady. Um, and amongst that, I also had a, a church change occur. Um, nothing necessarily negative about the other church. Uh, just the community aspect, like really dry it up and nobody was really interacting, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate, but there's only so much I can do before. It's like, okay, nobody's engaging in community. That's a, a critical element of a church is having community. So perhaps it's time to move. Sure. So we got those things happening all at once. As I'm working at the machine shop, um, I began to notice a, a certain like aching emptiness, kind of this gnawing feeling in my soul. And I say that as a ginger, so let the irony sit in there. Sure, right. Um, and <laughs> while while that's growing, I'm also finding myself, you know, finding uh, this just drive to try and find a way out of having to work because I began to connect the issue with working. Hmm. Um, which was an incorrect connection. Yeah. Um, it, it was also affecting my, my relationship at the time as well. And, and there were other issues, of course, value, value differences that definitely fed into things. Um, but something interesting that occurred, and this is just a little bit of more history on me, my mother's a chiropractor. Okay. Um, she's been a chiropractor basically as long as I've been alive. And there are pictures of me as like a little guy, I'm talking like four years old, trying to do the x-ray uh, line analysis on her view box. Hmm. So it's like, the kid was like built for it, right? Right. Well, no, he goes over to business, yeah, whatever. Mom never pressured me either way. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with dad, uh, never pressured me either way, but he's an engineer. Um, so keep keep that little thing in, in mind. I've okay. always been around chiropractic. Sure. Um, so this gnawing, feelings developing, um, relationships kind of taking a little bit of a hit. Uh, I'm looking for some way out of you know, where I'm at in in my job. And again, I wasn't intense at first. And I willfully moved up my hours of working to, to 10 hours. My boss gave me a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, good guy. Really respect him. Anyways. And people started asking me, like as I'm beginning to wrestle with you know, why am I working this job? What's, what's this doing to me? Like, is this really where I'm supposed to be at? As that was occurring, people started asking, Hey Lucas, how's chiropractic going? And you know, some, some people were, were, were new to me mm-hmm. and you know, I discredit it to, well, maybe you don't remember that I told you I work at a machine shop, right? You know, metal, not bodies. Right. Right. Um, so I, I gave it kind of a pass for a while and it was really just at the church that this started. Okay. As the months go by, this this gnawing feeling really developed badly to the point where I was starting to make poor financial decisions to try and find any way out. Um, like, ended up losing more than a couple thousand dollars mm-hmm. um, because of that. But desperation will drive you to do terrible things if you don't have people that stop you and mm-hmm. if you don't talk to people. Sure. That's a very critical element. Anyways, um, and the relationships also, again, like there's, I'm emotionally checking out because of other problems, mm-hmm. not necessarily inside the relationship. Um, things really affect multiple things. It's almost like everything's a Swiss watch. Right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. <laughs> um, but part of you know the financial you know decision-making also prevented me from um, moving towards marriage, which okay. ended up, I'm gonna say it ended up being for the better. Um, just looking at things that happened afterwards, 2020, I'm looking at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but people asking me about chiropractic started to shift outside of the church. 
Like I can ignore somebody asking me two weeks in a row. I can't really ignore them asking me five times in a row, right. week after week after week, and not just the little old lady that you would you know, assume would forget that you told her you work at a machine shop with metal, right. not bodies. But it wasn't just her, it was other people that already known me for some time. And I started moving outside of the church to the point where random strangers on the street were asking me this question. Hmm. Um, I remember one night I'd gotten done with a um, gotten done with a date. I was walking her back to her car. We all dressed up. It was great. And yeah, I'm going to use some dialect. I'm going to quote people here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Um, but walking down the street of, of, the, of the downtown where I live at is this kind of short white dude, tall black dude. They looked like they had a great night. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably been drinking a little bit, but they were having a great time. They were talking to each other, laughing. It was good to see. Mm-hmm. Like, those guys are doing it, right? Anyways, they come walking down by us, um, and they stop. Guy looks at me. Ah, maybe I'm not going to quote him exactly. My dude, you're looking fly. Hmm. Like, oh, well, thanks. You know, ain't this just the cutest couple you've seen, man? It's, and we just start talking. Mm-hmm. I'll just talk to anybody. Girlfriend was like, eh, can we just go? She, she's more of an introvert. And then we just talk a little bit. Oh, yeah, we just got done with the day, yada, yada, yada. And out of nowhere, guy's like, oh, hey, by the way, you one of them chiropractor students? I'm like, dude. Stop asking. <laughs> right. Where are you people coming from? What's right. the convention? Ask Lucas about chiropractic. <laughs> Who's paying you off? Uh, yeah. It's like <clears throat> once random people started asking me, what about chiropractic? Hmm. It's when I started to like really take a step back and ask that question of, have I been missing something here? Right. Um, this guy was a professor or something like that? or what? No, this is a random dude off the street. So I missed it. He asked you, what was it? Aren't you one of those chiropractic students or what did yeah. you say? Okay. That, that's all he asked me. I got as, you. As, you know, just random two guys walking down the street, you know, late in the evening. Stop this little couple and ask, are you a chiropractor? Hmm. Like, Never happened to me since. Right. Like, as I've been in school, nobody's asked me, how's chiropractic going? Right. And obviously, like, some people know, but, like, not a single stranger's asked. Nobody in the church has asked. It's just, like, it just went quiet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After I really stepped back and began asking some questions of, and again, I started doing this, but it really got intense um, after I had uh, was driving to work one day and... I really hit a low point at this point in time and I was driving to work. It's a good 15 minute drive. Um, and I looked at some oncoming traffic and I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should pull the steering wheel. And I struggled with some, you know, self harm thoughts before that. Sure. You know, slip it's icy out, maybe hurt myself, break my arm or break a leg. I don't have to go into work. I don't care for them. get workman's comp. I just, something needs to change. Um, but when I hit that, like, you know, even just a briefly serious thought about, you know, pulling that steering wheel, killing myself, or, you know, possibly getting into a worse accident. That in combination with the guy asking me, what about chiropractic? That's when I put, you know, full stops. I need to talk to people. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not in a good place right now. Right. Um, So I started talking to some elders uh, in my church, some friends, uh, other mentors in life. It's like, guys, this is what's going on. Have I missed something? Like, dude, you're kind of built to be a chiropractor. (laughs) Go do it. Yeah. Um, and my last step was talk to mom. It's like, yeah, why would you not go do this, Lucas? Right. Like you've had a head for this since you were little. Right. Um, I know there's nothing you really, you, like you care about this a lot. Yeah. Because uh, chiropractic is also a lifestyle. It's not just a job. It's how you live and interact with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Which was inundated in how I tried to structure my life. Right. So right. I just, and, and after that, I was like, okay, God, 
this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing. I'm I'm dumb, aren't I? Um, and so I began to you know, entering um, Palmer, and within two weeks, I was accepted into the only you know two undergrad classes I needed to do to qualify for the DC program, right? The full doctorate. And it was the last trimester for me to get a scholarship that would pay for all of my trimesters. Right. Like the next trimester, that was going to be changing to be only like half, which hmm. that's a lot of money I have saved. Right. Um, so thankfully, mom's worked there for a while. So the fact that I didn't take advantage of that sooner is kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. But also you wise up when you wise up. Right. Um, so that's. That's why I say it was divine intervention. Uh, I like to say God kind of like face pummeled me into it. Yeah. Like, hey, dummy, wake up. Right, right. Uh, and then the fact that things were down to that wire in so many different ways. I didn't know the scholarship was going to be changing. Hmm. Mom had mentioned it from time to time, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's crazy. Well, I appreciate being vulnerable. I mean, even talking about some of your addictions that you've had or things that you've gone through and that, it's not, not easy to do. <laughs> Maybe you got pretty comfortable with it. I don't know. But... With time, I have gotten more comfortable with that because let's be honest, what's, and this is going to sound a little weird, but what's the point of experiencing something terrible mm -hmm. if you don't, A, surrender that to God to be used, or if that's not where you're at, end of the line is, why go through something terrible and keep it internal? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, that does nobody else any good. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't do you good. No, right. The... I do have some follow-up questions on how it's been now in the chiropractic side of the world, but that kind of leads me to, I've had this whole thought process of, okay, do you pursue psychology? Do you do something in that world? And wondering like, is there a certain type of person and there must be, and there are obviously a spectrums to everything, but is there a certain type of person that's drawn to that psychological field? And, and like in my head, it's somebody who has gone through struggle, but we've all gone through struggle. Right. But mm -hmm. there's some, I don't know. There's, it seems like there's something is struggle related to somebody who wants to be a psychologist or is it just a way they think potentially, or is it a combination of both? And then within that, is there, is there a potential or have you guys seen people go down the psychological pursuit and find out that for whatever reason, their disposition is not good for that. And it leads them to a darker place than when they started. Oh, didn't, didn't expect that part of the question to come up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a thing. I'm just curious about that. Right. Travis, you want to lead off on that one or have me sound off? So I guess my thought process is kind of, I don't know that trauma specifically leads you to psychology, Okay, but I will say it greatly influences you when you do it. Right. Um, for me, psychology. So my original path for psychology was back when I was doing my criminal justice degree. Mm -hmm. And when I went through the one wave of health issues and decided law enforcement wasn't going to work out anymore, I decided not to go on for psychology because my original plan was finish my criminal justice degree, go to school for psychology while joining the military at the same time. Hmm. Ended up not going to school for psychology because at that point I didn't see a purpose in it anymore with not being able to go into law enforcement and then didn't join the military because well my body literally would not let me sure um and again worked out for the better anyway i would say after last year's health issue it influenced me even more to go back to a focus on psychology because of i finally had I, at that point i still didn't know what my purpose was mm -hmm. i didn't know what 
I should do with my life, what I wanted to do with my life. There's things I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed working in media. I enjoyed um, the creative avenue of life, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like that was the main focus. I felt like it was a part of the focus. And then after being in the coma and dealing with all of that, I I was like, you know what? I still, I, I need to do what I've always done and that's help people. Even when I was a kid, I was helping people. So he, you had mentioned um, dealing with bullying at one point. Mm-hmm. So when I was in public school, it was in first grade. I got kicked out of first grade. Sure. Um, but it's because I stood up to the bullies. Right. And it just happened that the bullies were the ones with the parents that gave the money to the school. And so the school sided with them over me. Sure. Um, but I was in detention all the time, more or less because of standing up to the bullies and not putting up with their crap hmm. and taking it to the next level. And it wasn't just myself that I was defending. I was defending other people, too. Right. I've always... So one of my struggles growing up was always I saw the value in others, but not in myself. So I was willing to sacrifice myself for others. Mm-hmm. Where now it's, I see the value in others. I see the value in myself. I'm willing to still make that sacrifice, but not like I would have in the past, hmm. but by developing the strengths needed to conquer the issue sure. at hand. Sure. And so all of that, like the stuff that I dealt with, with the bullying, the stuff that I have dealt with health wise, all of that definitely played an influence in me going back to school for psychology, choosing mm. that because I knew that that would help my route of being able to be able to help people. Mm-hmm. So I think it influences it, but I don't know that it necessarily is the main focus. Okay. Um, on that front, Lucas, what do you think? A person's history with struggle, whether it's trauma or light struggle or however you want to put it. I would effectively agree with Travis. I wouldn't really change too much um obviously disposition can influence that but not everybody who's inclined towards helping and um, assisting or developing other people goes into the psych world sure Uh, that occurs in a variety of ways so it it can play into it depending Mm -hmm. on the person themselves um their past struggles or um addictions traumas etc like those things can also influence it of course um, but they're by far from uh, a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they lead into it. Sometimes they lead away from it. Sure. Um, an addiction counselor isn't always best suited to counsel because they had an, an addiction. Sure. You know, experience does not confer expertise. Right. Just because you experience something does not make your input inherently more valuable than another person. Yeah. It means you've got more... <clears throat> Your, your relationship with it may be closer, mm-hmm. but how you've taken that experience, that's what's important. Do you right. turn it into expertise or do you just leave it at, I went through X, so listen to me. Right. I wonder if I go through a lot of like, I, I think I ask myself a lot of philosophical questions of like, hey, I have this draw. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Do Why do other people have those same draws, right? And, and, and trying to think, is there a, a similarity? And of course, there's never a general similarity across the board right but is there like a trend of people that are drawn towards that world and i don't i don't have the answer for that but. i think when you consciously recognize what most people don't usually consciously get is the because philosophy it's the answering of why right. the what the where the how the why the you know the when all of that right that's that's what philosophy's focus is is, is trying to I don't want to say justify, but explain the reasoning for mm-hmm. things. And so when we when we sit back and we can take the time 
to actually think about those things because it's something that piques our curiosity. It's something that grabs our attention, wanting to understand the world, basically. Mm -hmm. I think those are the people that are more likely to go into the psychology realm because psychology is built on philosophy. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think... And I'm not saying that obviously people who don't think that way won't end up in psychology. I just mm. think people who do think that way are maybe drawn to it more. Sure. Mm. Yeah. And what about that though? Again, I'm thinking about the, I asked you that you said the curveball question, right? Of if somebody gets into psychology and leads them to a darker place, maybe that just leads talks to a mental illness that they have or something like that. But I am just wondering, is there even, even on the side of the darker place, it's almost like this thing of like your soul engaged you're so educated you're so informed that all of your interactions all the way you approach life is like on this crazy technical level versus just true emotion and feeling and response or whatever it might be does that make sense at all and I then mean, again can it take you to a, a, a place that you don't want to go to i don't know again it depends on your relationship to it and sure. your anchoring okay mm-hmm. um because it's very possible that somebody just becomes a cold clinician sure as opposed to a you know, more warm clinician. Right. Um, I would, you know, look at Dr. Jordan Peterson as probably one of the best examples of someone that has that very highly structured thinking, mm-hmm. but maintains his humanity. Right. Um, you know, well, that- he makes an important emphasis on finding that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, because while he, he is very focused, he's very detailed in his work. He also finds time for those things that are going to pull him back to that, that safe level sure or, you know that safe place to be um and for again for him that's also his faith in god um he talks about that a whole lot he's actually been going through and creating a series about he just finished the exodus series i think yeah because he, he basically or he recently just out and out said like this is what i believe now mm-hmm. because for years he struggled to like fall on a particular point within that because mm-hmm. he recognized the weight of saying i believe in god one of my favorite lectures by him is who dare says i believe in god right that one was he really brought out the weight of just that statement yeah um anyways so and that was a point where like he put forward i'm he was basically afraid to fall on one side or the other sure um but yeah anyways yeah we're, we're, well and i think that's one of the issues that we have with uh life in general is that we have what we desire what we feel like we should do but then we have the influence of the people around us the influence of what's common what's normal what is what does the average person do and so we end up on that fence line where we have to choose which way we're going to go Mm -hmm. and that's always been one of my struggles is i've been i spent so much of my life influenced by others and doing what was the normal what would everyone else do Mm -hmm. rather than realizing following the status quo isn't always the greatest thing to do sometimes it's better to go ahead and step out and be the oddball and do something completely different from everyone else because maybe it's beneficial for you maybe it sets an example for where the world needs to go and it just needed that one person to step out right. and make that different decision but either way you got to find a way to get off the fence because mm-hmm. sitting on the fence that's when we lose the foundation of living because right. we're, then we're not doing anything you're right. an uncommitted mind sure mm-hmm. um and i think that's where some of that that mm, potential for dipping into darkness can occur within like pursuing psychology because mm-hmm. i'd be less likely to think someone in, would enter psychology and then you know turn you know 
evil, dark, sinister, whatever, um, comparatively. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that somebody enters in with a desire to learn more because they've got an underlying drive or desire for something else and they see you know, psychology as a means of accomplishing that. Sure. Even if they have a, um, a higher intent, their, their method ends up driving them you know, further towards evil because the ends do not justify the means. Right. Because by whatever means you take, you adopt the philosophy of those means. Sure. It's very difficult, I would say impossible, to separate what you do from yourself. Yeah. And that's really when you engage in some very dangerous dissociative behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could potentially draw out some underlying proclivity towards a mental illness, for example. Um, we'll just pick on sociopaths, for example, because they're easy to pull out. Right. <laughs> um, but we could also pull out someone that they experience their trauma and this might be one of those forms of darkness that somebody could experience in psychology because mm-hmm. there's a lot of philosophies of psychology right freud young um sagan for example um or if we just want to talk more like the the named philosophies of psychology like the the biopsychosocial for example or the cognitive behavioral or uh, the evolutionary or pick one of these things that indicates how you structure your thinking about the mind if there mm. if there is in that perspective such things as a mind right so somebody say they've experienced some kind of trauma or struggle you know pick of the degree and they enter psychology and they want to understand either themselves better or they want to understand how they can drive this further depending on what philosophy of psychology they go into i would make the argument that it could in fact turn that towards a darker purpose sure or just a darker end result, um, i.e. they take the more biological perspective of psychology and they reduce their experiences or their emotions down to, well, it's really just chemicals interacting in my brain. Mm-hmm. There's research um, on disassociative personality disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a new term for split personality. Sure. That sounds right. I think so. They changed that like relatively recently and I'm trying to get the language straight. I, anyways, uh, some interesting research on that that shows the biological changes occur after the personality change occurs. Hmm. Very weird. Very hmm. fascinating though. Like even to the point where allergies develop that the other personality doesn't have that weird. the body physically responds to. Right. It's like mast cells, um, antibody deploy. Like it's freaky, right. but it's cool, right. but it's freaky. <laughs> Anyways, um, if you take a purely biological view of the human, you kind of lose the humanity, like mm-hmm. the, the humanity of the struggle can get lost. And it might be that they're trying to f- find a, a reason for their, their struggle, what they mm-hmm. went through and how it's affecting them. But how you look at that really is important. Right. P- part of me that, that makes me ask that question is I have friends or I know some people that are just, I think, super intelligent, super awesome thinkers, really engaging to visit with. Mm-hmm. But you can pretty objectively from the outside say, Hey, they think too much. It leads them to an unhealthy place. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they're struggling. They're not finding their way, whatever else. And it's like, I think that person is probably drawn towards psychology, right? Because of that same thing, that deep thinking, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be and saying, Hey, maybe psychology is the ticket out of it. I don't know. But either way, it's, uh, clearly something where you can go too far on a, on a depth level. And, and maybe it's, to go too far to come out the other side with insight. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. like a, yeah. well, and something that we've brought up a couple times now, but we haven't really gone into detail about that. I think links to this is boundaries. Mm-hmm. We 
whether it is your personal life, your professional life, whatever it is, you have to be able to set healthy boundaries for yourself as well as for those around you. And, and I think that's one of the biggest struggles that our culture has nowadays is nobody even typically understands what a boundary truly is for my, I already know because of how I react to the emotions of others that I have to consciously draw that boundary line and how I'm going to respond in dealing with others, deal with helping them through their own situations. I have to be able to turn off, not, not turn off, but dampen my emotional response to not let it affect the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I don't, I will let their emotions feed me in a way that may not be a positive response. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm dealing with somebody who has dealt with um, abuse, whether it's sexual, physical, mental, whatever it is, that's going to trigger a frustration and an anger inside of me that I have to be able to control. We have to be able to control ourselves in the work that we do. Sure. Because if I don't, then it will lead me to do stupid decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Anyone, for example, any guy who is going to abuse their wife, in my opinion, deserves to have the crap beat out of them. Right. And I would have no problem being the one to deliver it. But we also know that's not necessarily the best answer or response to everything. Right. For some reason, vigilantism is frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important that we got, we got to define those boundaries and set them. And then the second part of that is having somebody that we trust that can help us hold those boundaries accountable. Right. Whether that is your significant other, whether it's a sibling, a best friend, maybe it's a therapist or a counselor that helps you with that too. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, I think the need to be held accountable lessens not necessarily goes away depending on the situation at hand but it lessens to where it becomes your natural response to hold that boundary it's developing those boundaries initially where you really need that accountability help sure um and i think about that a lot too i've I've talked about it many times on here like when you i don't know what you guys experience was like but myself growing up with with her friends if you were 14 to 15 16 whatever it was if you were being a bad friend or a bad person, your friends told you about it. They either beat you up or whatever, like you knew about it, right? To the point now where I think you can still have that, but I think people, and myself included, it's hard to tell somebody what you were talking about, those hard truths, right? Like, mm-hmm. dude, you're being a prick. What are you doing, right? Or whatever it might be. Is there, there's, I don't know, how do you overcome that? But anyways, I, I think about that a lot. And even when I started this podcast, I, told, I had a few friends, I asked them, hey, like keep an ear to the ground if you don't mind. I'm just like, I don't know. Things can go any direction. If things get weird, like, let me know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just because again, it's just a different space, but just thinking about that, that accountability side of things, but then it does lead me to, you said maybe it's a, a therapist or a psychologist as well. Another thing I struggle with is maybe it's not fair to say within the therapy or the psychological field, but how do you know, like these people are all just human too, flawed humans, right? Mm-hmm. It feels like there's gotta be some percentage of them that are doing bad work. How do you, how do you separate that? And, and, and I don't know, it's like hard to, that's true of anything, right? Yeah. True, I'm a real estate agent. That's true of real estate agents. There's 10% of real estate agents doing bad work or whatever the percentage is. Oh yeah. You always have to, if you're going to answer a question like that, you have to have some kind of standard to appeal to. Okay. I mean, cause at the end of the day, you're basically asking a question of what really just connects back to morality sure. and ethics. Right. Um, and you need to have a non-human bound like locus yeah. of control 
for ethics and morality. Right. Otherwise, it changes with the age. Yeah. And is there that in place within the psychological field? or? or the I mean, there, there are ethics in psychology, uh, for yeah. sure. Like, say don't we, sleep with your patients. Sure. Right. right. I say we have a whole, like, ethics code and... Um, so the American Psychological Association is probably the one who plays the biggest f- point in trying to maintain those ethics. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, they're not perfect either. It, it we literally, there is no perfection. You have to, you have to set those expectations for yourself in a lot of ways to be able to identify those things. I mean, that's part of why we have to be willing to constantly educate ourselves. Yeah. Because the moment we stop educating ourselves, the moment we stop learning, the moment we stop observing, that's when we we hit those brick walls where it's like we were completely clueless of what this person was actually doing behind closed doors or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not easy. It's definitely not an easy thing to do. Right. Especially in a realm like psychology, which is, I'm just going to call it, it's the squishy quote unquote science. Right. It's, it's not even science, really. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing necessarily objective quantitative you can make an argument for qualitative about the psychology world right you can measure neurotransmitters you can get brain scans you can do these things Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day that's really just giving you evidences for other things because science is squishy Mm -hmm. (laughs) psychology is squishy yeah psychology is just as squishy right um so that's the part I struggle with too, is think about that. Like you, you hear of people that go visit a coach and you put that in the same realm, coach, therapist, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Of course they can be quite different, right? Oh, yeah, but yeah. either way, it's but kind of a similar right process, right? Mm-hmm. And they come back and say, Hey, my coach said to do this. Now I'm doing this extreme thing. And I'm like, why was that person right? You know what I mean? I don't know. I just struggle with that too. Right. Like, well, and there's no perfect answer for everyone. Right. Um, you know, it, go, it goes into two things. One, sometimes you have to try multiple things before sure. you find something that works for you. And then two, we have to get past the standard practice of every field where it's the one size fits all mentality. Right. Um, and it goes back to when Lucas brought up you know, the whole Swiss watch principle. We everything operates together. We've already addressed that. You know, that needs to be brought to everyone's attention but the other thing is is that none of us are the same watch mm-hmm. we're all different we're all unique we all have different factors to us you know obviously neither one of us looks like the other mm-hmm. even if we did internally we still have all of these biological differences and that affects our mental difference differences as well right and if we're not factoring all of that in and being patient while trying to seek a solution or answer which is a lot easier said than done. That's I. F- I feel like that's where we we lose track. That's where we f- tend to fall off the cliff the most. Sure. Yeah. My my resolution within that would be, again, external sources. Um, when it comes to how do you, you know, bring some kind of unification to psychology? Well, you you got to have something which makes a commentary about the nature and condition of the human mm-hmm. that you can come back and appeal to. Okay. Um, and I would put forth that you draw it back to a to a biblical view, you could find that. Sure. Now, an astute reader would say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about psychology. Not by name. <laughs> right. But right. it records human stories, human interactions. You also have something which makes a very strong position and comment on human origin, the nature of the human being, the purpose of man, and as well, within that, most importantly, the human condition sure um yeah i mean 
I think Dr. Jordan Peterson's talked about uh, the book of Proverbs. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you might not remember either. <laughs> I say I'm not sure. Not sure right. on that one. But I mean, you can go back because people have been alive for a while. Surprise. Right. <laughs> and people have been observing people for a while. Surprise. Hmm. We've been making commentary about things within the human mind and heart for a very long time. There is no one method of psychology that works because you can't be methodological like that. Sure. Not in the way of where it's A plus B equals C level stuff or Mm. one plus two equals three. That will not work within psychology. Chiropractic has a similar, I'm going to say, struggle or hang up, which is not every patient can, is, or should be adjusted the same way. Right. Um, And I'm very passionate on that point, which we can dive into that later, but within the world of psychology, no two therapies really going to work the same way. Right. Right. Um, Cause like you said, Travis, there's individuality mm-hmm. like that person. They've lived a different life. They have a different mind. Like they are different. Mm-hmm. So within that, it would be more important to yes, gather methods, but first seek principles. Sure. And there's a lot of principles in psychology that mm-hmm. exist. Oh, definitely. Depending right. on which area you go to. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, and each one's going to have a different goal. Yeah. And they bring about those methodologies accordingly. Like the biological psychology route, mm-hmm. a lot of medication heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Why? Oh, yeah. Because the mind is really just a whirl of electrons and chemicals and inside this you know cranium of ours. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's a wrong perspective, but you can affect some change from that. Sure. Because there's an element of truth in that. But my friend Robert, I attribute this quote to him, but he says, and I quote, the brain is the tool by which the mind expresses itself. Uh, and I would very much fall on the side that the mind is a thing that is both unique and separate from the brain and the body, and yet is still tied to it, okay. still bound in some fashion, which is why you can give someone you know, some kind of medication and it helps to stabilize their mood, mm-hmm. for example. Or you get the opposite route with the disassociated personalities and the personality, the mind changes, if you will, and you have a biological result of that change right right um anyways i'm not sure how much further i should go on that one other than yeah no i can appreciate that part of me just has the fear the the original part of the question is just again the fear of like the manipulative nature that is out there or that can be out there right Mm -hmm. and again that in these roles versus like if you go to even feels like a chiropractor but maybe not but either way Mm -hmm. lots of roles feel very cut and dry yeah right Mm -hmm. like what you see is what you get here. Chiropractic is very squishy in that realm. Sure. That, that can be, I know there's a lot of variants there, but within a lot of roles in life, it feels like what you see is what you get. There's not a lot of place mm-hmm. to be. Whereas like you said, on the psychological side, being super squishy, there's so much room for interpretation and mm-hmm. whatever it might be and opens the door for charlatans and mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Right. Maybe some, some, uh, you know, again, the school side of things, you need to overcome a lot of hurdles to get there, eliminate a lot, a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But either way, that's just part of a fear. No, gatekeeping is good. I agree. Okay. Gatekeeping is good. You should always right. have gatekeeping. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on a separate note, I, I'm a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. I really enjoy his work. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. I, I've thought you guys, or I, I've been wondering to myself, I'm curious if you guys have thought about this. Himself and his daughter, Michaela, have followed what they call the lion diet or like the carnivore diet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the lion diet. Is that essentially the same thing as you guys, but just without testing? As you guys work in the wellness way, I should say. I'm glad listening. you've asked. Right. <laughs> to me, it's like a no-brainer. Like there's a, you guys, I mean, I, you mm-hmm. answer that question if you don't mind. I'm curious what the connection is there for you guys. So 
let's let's make sure we understand what you're asking. Okay. So I can rephrase it, but yep. you, or you can ask questions. Yeah, hit hit your question because I want to make sure I'm going to answer your question. Okay. Otherwise, so go off of the weeds. The wellness way, in my experience with it right now, working through some health stuff with you guys mm-hmm. is okay. I've got this issue. My immune system's struggling. Whatever it might be, go in. And, Somebody within your world could do a better job of this, but I'm going to explain it from my point of yeah. view. Um, get my allergies tested, mm-hmm. figure out what foods are causing inflammation and what's causing issues, get my hormones tested, stuff like that, working mm-hmm. on all this together. But it's all comes back to the food with an element of supplementation, right? But it all comes back to the food is from what my perspective is, is eliminating these foods that are causing me issues, eliminate the sugars, eliminate my allergies, and boom, I've s- overnight significant increase in, mm-hmm. in well-being. You know, I've... Bef- Prior to working with you guys, I had some pains for over a couple months that since then I've had one or two and I think I can very strictly relate them to certain eating events. Mm-hmm. Um, they have had some severe autoimmune issues, which I'm sure yes. you guys are aware of, right? Yep. Um, and they went to eating nothing but meat and they eliminated it all. But mm-hmm. to me, that's the same thing other than they didn't know that they could have been eating these 14 other fruits and vegetables that were not allergenic to them mm-hmm. or whatever the correct term is. So essentially it was their non-testing way of doing that. What you guys do is how I felt about it. So, um, to be quite simple, I'll quote Hippocrates here. Let food be thy medicine. Yeah. You're a real estate guy, right? Right. So tell me if this resonates with you or tell me if this works, but have you ever been given the blueprint for a house before you've gone to sell it? Mm, I don't know if I have. Have you looked at a house from the outside before you've gone inside? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'd hope so. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I don't know how you're teleporting otherwise. Right. Have you looked at that house and said, man, that looks like a good house. Mm-hmm. The outside's well-maintained. The shingles are all on straight. Like, it looks good. Right. When you step inside, again, it continues to look kind of good. But when you ask someone the history of the house, materials, how it's been cared for, what it was built out of, mm-hmm. have you ever paused? Because that mean my parents' house, this is... This is my experience. I'm kind of pulling from that. But mm. have they ever talked with you about what it was built out of, when it was built, who built it, et cetera, more on the material side or how it was maintained? He said, this house is maybe not as valuable as it was or sound as it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. The human body is really no different. Mm-hmm. The blueprint for the human body is amazing. It's beautifully solid. Right. It works. Shall we say trillions of times? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But the materials for the house are what's important. I can give you the best blueprint in the world, give you the best engineer for it, but if I give you poor materials, you're going to end up with a poor building. The blueprint designs might help it last a little bit longer. The engineer might use some some of his tricks and techniques within the blueprint to help it last longer. Mm-hmm. But if the material's not good for the house, for what it's built for, the house isn't going to last as long. You should expect the plumbing to start leaking. You should expect the electricity to start fritzing. You should expect the shingles or the walls or the foundation to start having problems. Within the wellness way, we do the testing for, is this the material that the body needs? Mm-hmm. Or is there another underlying process? Does the house have mold, for example? Or are the pipes rusting because you've got some bad water that you're using? Or pick whatever problem you want to latch onto. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We find those answers that other people can't figure out. Because at the end of the day, as a chiropractor, as a wellness way practitioner, potato, potato, I don't want you to need me. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. want to equip you with the tools, knowledge necessary to live your life without me. I don't want to see you. I don't like the fact that you're here. (laughs) And so with um, Dr. Jordan and his daughter, they really just embraced the simplest 
and probably one of the most elegant means of maintaining the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Use the resources that something else has built. Because what a lot of people get wrong with, say, carnivore diets is that they just choose muscle meats. You know the difference between a, um, a protein and a sugar? Uh, not molecularly speaking. No, no, not necessarily. I mean, a protein is a long chain of amino acids. Maybe a sugar is a glucose. I'm spitballing here. I don't know. Yeah. If, my, if I remember my chemistry correct, and I hope somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, it's really just a nitrogen group. Okay. Which is why when that nitrogen group gets cleaved off, you can also see blood sugar or just sugars increase with someone that's eating a lot of proteins, muscle meat specifically. Because hmm. what do muscles do? They burn glucose. They burn other forms of quick use energy in order to function and they also store that mm -hmm. what dr jordan and michaela do as i've understood correctly and what the carnivore diet really is is that you eat the organ meats that contain all the things necessary for your body to build and maintain itself a liver like three and a half ounces of liver a day gives you practically all of your vitamin rdas daily recommended allowances doses etc basically what you need three and a half ounces of liver why? Because the liver is a major maintenance organ in your body. Eat liver. Sure. Cut out sugar. Like the processed stuff, just sugar in general, your life will be significantly better. Right. Why? Because you're using materials and introducing things to the body that it's not meant to use in the amounts or in the way that you're presenting to it. Right. Now, do I think that there may be some other underlying conditions for Dr. Jordan and Michaela? Sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they have some underlying microbial issues in their guts. I would mm -hmm. not be surprised at all. And I would want to see testing to then confirm and guide them in that. Right. Because microbes can be difficult to shake. Mm -hmm. um, any of us ever had like a parasite, um, ringworm, other stuff like that? Potentially nothing. Lice. Has anybody had lice? I'm sure I have. I have. Okay. Yeah. Do you eat liver to get rid of lice or do you shave your head and dunk it? I mean, I didn't do either, so I'm not 100% sure on that one. <laughs> Good to know you're writing in the back now. Yeah. <sighs> okay, this is like years and years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there do come points in time where your body does need some extra resources, mm -hmm. some other interventions in order to help resolve certain issues. Because mm -hmm. if you if you knock down a wall, do you need to build a new wall? Right. I mean, it's a yes or yes, but yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the other element of what we have. Are Dr. Jordan and Michaela doing significantly better? Yes, good on them. And I would fully encourage them to continue eating the meats, the organ meats. Again, I don't remember if they're eating organ meats. Uh, probably, or supplementing. Uh, mm -hmm. I think Jordan focuses a lot more on like your, your big beefs, like your steaks and stuff like that. Right. And at, at a simple level, and thank you, that, that gives me much more of what to work with. Um, by cutting out things that are triggering your body's response mechanisms and self-defense mechanisms, which really only get triggered after other barriers have been broken down. Because fun fact, your immune system, A, it's not a single system, it's a collection of functions, mm -hmm. is your body's last resort for most things. Your skin, your saliva, your stomach acid, these are your first lines of defenses. Your nose is, and mouth are slightly you know, kind of out of an exception, but even then, your mucus, you know, phlegm, snot etc are also defensive mechanisms hmm. the immune system when it gets triggered is really a all these other things have been penetrated and now the body needs to be more aggressive and proactive sure simply removing those things that are triggering that which takes a lot of resources mind you mm -hmm. removing that can significantly increase your health benefits mm -hmm. like it's good that dr jordan's done that but i would not be surprised if he still has other underlying health issues which simply aren't being triggered 
and being brought to the surface in a plain view. Right. What's the first sign of heart disease in men? I don't know. 70% of the time it's death. Sure. I mean, heart attacks, I mean, it's also because we're men and we don't get help. We're right? stubborn that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, absence of symptom does not equate to absence of disease. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he doesn't have, you know, what he's experiencing. But I also can't say that he doesn't have more problems. Yeah. Has he found a lot of health and healing in that just by doing that? Yeah. Anybody can find significant improvement by doing a similar thing. Definitely as Michaela has done. Right. Yeah. Have you guys thought about that before I asked that question? I'm assuming you have because you follow him and appreciate those. Yeah. So I kind of thought about it for a while um, when it came to the whole lion diet thing because I'm like, you know, there's, you know, vegetables and it's hard to get past the whole like general idea that we have that fruits and veggies are good for you. Right. And, you know, just that, that whole thing. So I'm like, basically to simplify what Lucas said at the end of the day, you have to do what is going to be best for you. Are there other things that they can probably eat? Yes, probably. Are there other ways that they can do more testing to figure out what's going on and maybe open up the doors to other things. Mm. Yes, definitely. But like you said, they simplified it. They knew what they could have that wasn't causing the horrible reactions that they were getting from their body Mm -hmm. and they stuck to it. And if that's what works for them right now, that's, that's awesome. That's best for them. Go for it. You know, I don't eat much fruit at all anymore because not only do I deal with, um, being a diabetic but sugar also causes me a lot of pain with a mm. uh, messed up pancreas mm-hmm. so i try to avoid as much sugar as possible i'm certainly not perfect i slip up i make mistakes um but avoiding it i have a so much better health life than i ever used to right. my blood sugar is actually finally the opposite of what it used to be i used to be stuck with my blood sugar levels between four to five hundred okay which is really bad. Yeah, yeah, like really, really bad. Um, you're looking at not quite blood type pudding, but you're edging towards there. Yeah, it might as well. Yeah, like when I ended up in the coma last year, my blood was pretty much just like straight up butter. Unreal. Um, there's pictures to prove it. Um, but since cutting all of that out and really focusing on what I'm eating, yes, I've really had to limit myself on what I'm eating, mm-hmm. but I'm healthier and I'm actually having the opposite issue where. Sometimes I have to eat a little bit more because my blood sugar is getting low enough that I don't need insulin anymore to maintain it. And I don't have the high end blood sugar count anymore. Yeah. So that's what works for me. Um, it's, it goes back to that whole idea of there's no one size fits all routine. We have to figure out what's works best for us and our patients principles mm-hmm. and implement those in. Yeah. No, I, I think it's unreal. I'm, I haven't talked about it much on here or whatever, but I came down with symptoms of arthritis, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get referred to a rheumatologist. And I said, no, there's clearly an underlying issue. So I went work with you guys and it's un- unbelievable. I'm pumped. I got it. I'll be a way healthier 50 year old now because of it. Didn't know you're 50. Also no, no. didn't know you started to care with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm uh yeah. So I'm 29. I think about that, but I'm saying in 20 years, I, I lived a decently healthy lifestyle, average American diet, like eat out twice a week and mm-hmm. quite a bit of sugar. So not even healthy on that side, but I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. active like to do things whatever but i'm saying down this path that at 50 i would have had some pretty major issues mm-hmm. where now i believe i'm going to be very healthy and and again make this a huge part of my life because mm-hmm. you have a huge why like i had to 
this whole thing is about mule deer hunting, right? One day I had, my knee was in such bad pain and so stiff. I had to sit on my butt to get down my steps. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you can't mm-hmm. walk down your steps, you can't go mule deer hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, anyways, I'm pumped. I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm way more informed. I'll be way healthier because of it. I'm glad you're having results too. Like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Seeing a positive change. That's, oh, that's amazing. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And it's so easy. Like, I've done the whole 30 just as a challenge with some of my friends when I was living out in North Dakota. And essentially that's what I'm eating right now is the yeah. whole 30, except even more strict. I can't have eggs with it. Uh, that was hard. Ah, yeah. Very, very hard mm. when I did it. Now it's easy because you have a huge why, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to it. It's like, no, if I want to be able to hike a hill. Because you hit an element of purpose in that. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's nothing to it. I don't know. The, the, the driving, the question which drove the development of chiropractic D.D. Palmer's an interesting guy. I can understand some of the controversies around him. I don't know this guy at all. What's it? So D.D. Palmer is what we would call the discoverer of chiropractic. Okay. Uh, so in, in the line of chiropractic, you got D.D. You have a son, B.J. He really pushed it forward and developed it a lot. Yeah. Then you've got um, David Palmer, B.J.'s son, who was also known as the educator. Basically, he kind of formed and refined Palmer College into okay. a lot of what we, what, what originally was. Uh, and then besides BJ, you've also got uh, Mabel Palmer, his wife, uh, also known as the first lady of chiropractic. Um, and then after David, you've got um, at least one Palmer. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, Vicky, Vicky Palmer. Um, anyways, Didi, as he was writing chiropractic books, as he's trying to sort out what it is he he discovered, um, he had a question, and it ran something like this: Why is it that two men? working at the same job in the same factory sitting at the same table eating the same lunch Mm -hmm. why is it that one man has bronchitis and pneumonia and aches and pains and chills etc all these health conditions he just lists off a bunch of why does this guy have this Mm -hmm. and the other guy doesn't right what is it about them who live very similar lives what is it about them that they are having different results yeah and that's been one of the driving things of chiropractic ever since is that the body is an intelligent organism Mm -hmm. it's active it's alive it's doing its own things and that you live in your body you have to operate and function alongside of it as an individual and your body is and i already said intelligent but i'm really pushing that that forward a little bit more it's purposeful it's intentional in all of its functions and processes hmm. it's reacting to those foods for a reason mm-hmm. something in the line of how you've lived life and this is what makes chiropractic at a patient level so powerful when it's practiced in full again as a wellness way practitioner or chiropractor but again i repeat myself it at the end of the day is meant to give that patient a way to live mm-hmm. their life independently. Right. Um, I've slightly lost my train of thought. I'm, yeah. I'm falling well, back into the, the just enjoying the, the realities of chiropractic. Right. Um, right. No, we were just talking about how I'm pumped that I'll be a healthy 50 year old and the fact that it's just, yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. The whole bit, the, the, ext- the, the whole ah, side of it, the way you've lived life. There yeah. it is. Um, because at the end of the day, like your body's reacting to those things because the way you've lived life sure. has, drained it of resources Mm -hmm. to try and maintain itself sure you don't have to think about healing your hand your hand heals on its own right to to quote dr patrick i don't need to rub a little turmeric on that to get it to make it better right Right. Mm -hmm. just need to 
And I, even then, I don't need to eat in order for my hand to heal. It'll heal it on, on its own. Mm-hmm. But if I treat my body correctly, that healing process, that maintenance process is so much better. But at some point in time, I can push my body so far that it can't do those things. Right. Because it's so focused on keep the heart beating, keep the central nervous system functioning. Lungs, don't you give out on me yet. Stomach, maybe you can wait. Right. That's how the body functions. Hmm. It's the beauty of chiropractic. And you're experiencing what it's like to, A, have somebody treat you according to that, Mm -hmm. but also B, to give you that perspective and those tools to then live your life. Right. Right. It is a crazy thing because I'm pumped. Like I said, I'll be way healthier because of it, but I never would have gone without getting to an extreme. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you guys probably talk all the time. That's always how it is, right? But how much value and benefit would it be to do that before you're at the extreme? But it's, how do you, how do you make that movement? I don't know. That's tough. Do you want to answer that one or do you want me to keep yapping? I mean, I, so I relate to this because I'll be honest, I didn't care a whole lot about my own health until I hit that point where I was at my worst in my health. Mm -hmm. Um, the first time around and even more so the second time around, like, I'll be honest, I used to live on a diet of pizza, tacos, and pasta, Mm -hmm. like those three things I ate. And if it wasn't those, it was pancakes and waffles and like all of these high carb, high sugar things because they taste good. Mm -hmm. They taste good. They're delicious. I, I generally miss these foods. Right but they're not worth the price that I paid. And there is that part of me that regrets not being smart enough to realize what I was doing to my own body and stopping it before I hit that rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's part, if we we go into the conspiracy theory aspect of it, I think it's partially (laughs) because of the way the world promotes everything sure. is how we're, you know, we don't think about, we like, Oh, that person says that's not good for you. They don't know what they're talking about. This is what, you know, the schools, the government the says, right, exactly. And so I think in a lot of ways, we as a culture have been molded into the science is always right. Or what the people say that the science says is the always right. Know the science well enough. Right. And so, I think that's why we get stuck where it's like, well, they're saying that the science says that this is fine for me, that it's not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. We're just going to keep going with it and it must be something else. Right. And that's an issue with a science first viewpoint as opposed to a principles um, first viewpoint. Right. Like research is fine. Research is dependent on humans. And of course, all research has a human element of into it, of course, but it's far more valuable to know how the, the constituents of aspirin interact with the body and to draw you know, information from that than it is to do uh, a one-year study on does aspirin cause more you know, strokes. Right. Mm-hmm. It's more useful to do a 10-year study on aspirin or a 40-year study on aspirin and strokes, but that's 40 years of not knowing is aspirin killing people, right. which Harvard's released some things that says aspirin, uh, guys, let's be careful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's valuable to know principles yeah. deeply. How, what's, what's the basic functioning of a thing? Right. That answers so many more questions and really cuts out a lot of middle ground guessing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I don't need well, to know certain things because of that. And bringing up medication, that's another thing that we've done culturally is we've made it so that, well, don't worry about making any changes. We have a medicine for that. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have a medicine that will counteract that or will make it easier or it, it's just, it's, it's frustrating. It's like, will the medicine help? Yeah, probably. It'll do what it's designed to do. That's but it's also going to cause half a million other issues behind it. Because that's how chemistry works. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you can solve one problem with the medication, but it's going to cause another. A perfect example, I was on steroids for a year because of my brain being swollen from radiation surgery. Hmm. Yeah, the, the steroids kept my brain from exploding, literally. Which is good. That's which is good. good. It's great. But it caused me to develop a vascular necrosis in my joints, which led to me having to have a partially... Uh, partial replacement surgery for my left shoulder hmm. because the bone in my joints had died so much that it couldn't be it couldn't be restored anymore right it was like an eggshell my my joint was literally like an eggshell and so they had to go in and they had to shave out the broken pieces and insert a metal piece and the doctors were like yeah this is probably because you were on steroids for a year right and it wasn't low doses of steroids it was like max dosage possible of the steroid medication hmm. And <laughs> Lucas's face, yeah, <laughs> like it was bad, right? You know, and it there's a chance that this caused other health issues that I've dealt with too. Suppressed it, immune system being one of them, right? So, yep, immune system, pancreas issues, um, like ev- everything is tied to a cause, and we have to find that cause, and then we have to decide what's the best form of treatment for it. Mm-hmm. Medication has a time and place. I won't deny that. I eat keeping your brain not, not exploding. Right, but it shouldn't be a permanent solution. Because it's only meant to do as it's meant to do. Right. Right. Like, just from a pure chemistry standpoint, when a medication hits your body, it will bind to the receptors, it'll block other receptors, like, it'll it'll do what it's meant to do. It'll cause reactions, it'll inhibit them, etc. Your body already does those things on its own. It has the ability to regulate those things. It's why when somebody develops hypertension later in life and someone wants to say, oh, well, you're just genetically disposed to hypertension. It's like, well, if you're genetically disposed, why weren't you born with hypertension? You had nine mm-hmm. months of some very significant things happening. I, you know, you're just growing literally all your organs. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you get hypertension there? Why didn't you get hypertension there? The body can regulate those things as long as it has the resources and it's got, I'm going to say, the processing power. Sure. Because there's things that are far more important to the body at one time over another. Mm-hmm. As Dr. Patrick likes to say, for women, you don't need to ovulate if you're running from a bear. Right. The body's going to shut down those processes. It's going to slow them down and increase other things like heart rate. Mm-hmm. Well, something like hypertension, what's causing your body to call for a higher heart rate? Because what's the purpose of blood? To and feed. I know that's just like out like left field. Right. To feed oxygen to your cells is what I've would understand okay that's nice yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> let's let's pull it back maybe a little bit further what's the purpose of your heart to pump blood throughout yeah. your body that's nice but you're only telling me how it does its purpose it's pumping blood but what's its purpose i don't know it is to enable the movement of nutrients metabolic waste hormone messengers and other constituents, immune cells, oxygen, mm-hmm. um, carbon dioxide is also a metabolic waste, but the heart is meant to control, or it's meant to be the means by which the body responds to calls for moving those things out or moving more of those things around the body. Mm-hmm. Huh. It doesn't pump blood, it pumps resources. Sure. And it's meant to respond in a way two more calls for resources it's kind of a dispatch center for your trucks huh. whether it's immune cells or uh, red blood cells take your pick right the purpose of blood is yes to get oxygen to areas but it's also to carry metabolic waste or resources or immune cells right or messengers right like 
and another so kind of an example going back to how our body will turn off what it doesn't feel that it needs in the moment one of the health issues that I dealt with uh, before starting to work with the wellness way and really focus on making those next steps to avoid the next trauma is my brain would become so scattered trying to keep up with the energy that my body needed. Mm-hmm. And because of the brain damage that I also have, that made it even more difficult because it's got to work through that as well. That when I was not getting the rest that I needed or the right nutrients that I needed to develop energy and everything, I would become very disoriented to where I could not think clearly. I couldn't mm-hmm. focus. I couldn't comprehend what was going on around me. The uh, neurologist that I was seeing, he said it most likely was because my body simply did not have enough energy to function. Hmm. This was a daily, sometimes multiple times a day issue that I had. Focusing on making the changes to what I was eating to better supply my body with what it needed has changed that. Where now, the only time I really deal with that situation anymore is when I've gone several days without getting any sleep and I'm my just hitting that exhaustion period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's essentially what my body was trying to do is it was trying to figure out what can we change, what can we turn off or temporarily delay resources to in order to keep you alive. Because it's, it's, it becomes that. It becomes you enter survival mode. What do you need to do to keep living? It's right. not just a mental state. It's also a physical state, mm-hmm. which by necessity, by, um, by implication or extension, there you go, will affect the the mind not just the brain the mind because when the body is calling for something the mind has to be aware of that mm-hmm. and you're going to respond and begin restructuring your life accordingly mm-hmm. you might not know how you may need to restructure it but that drive is going to be there like that 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 call that buzz for action right right well no this is all i could go on all day I feel like we, we got could a too. thousand <laughs> rabbit holes right uh, i mean heck you've almost got two shows worth here right right but no one of the things uh, think about the school side of things and I don't know that we'll even get into it but I just got questions of like is it valuable even right like you question the <clears throat> like what's the best modern school system is it there for the good or whatever else not saying if it's good or evil but you gotta yeah, understand just, like, just is it what valuable? is it good for or how right. is it to be good but I, within me I have this draw to go to school regardless of the outcome mm-hmm. like I don't care. like I just want to learn this stuff but at that point I've had friends challenge me and say oh, why don't you just read it and I am right? I'm diving into this stuff I need to learn it yourself but I don't know there, all stuff I got to consider. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that school does provide because nowadays with us having internet, this is, I will say one of the, one of the biggest blessings and curses of the internet is access to knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the struggle with the access to the knowledge is defining for yourself, whether you believe that knowledge is accurate or inaccurate. Right. Um, Because you can post anything on there. I could say that eating your boogers is healthy. Mm. Um, and people are going to believe it. Right. You know, they're not going to care about your qualifications. They're not going to care about your argument for why. And you can also create a flame war in the comment section because of that. Exactly. Sure. Uh, you know, they're, but they're, they're going to believe that. So the resources are out there for not needing to go to school to learn all of this. Right. The two big benefits of school is one, the structure is developed in theory to give you the most accurate form of the information not saying every school is perfect not Mm -hmm. saying every class or professor is perfect in this but that's the idea behind it Mm -hmm. the second thing is to basically give you that piece of paper that says that you're qualified to work in that field or 
that you are smart enough to be able to say that what you say goes and that you're right. Sure. That's the two big benefits with school. Um, So yes and no depends on what you want to do with the knowledge. Right. And how far are you willing to go to decide not not decide, but decipher what's right and what's wrong. Right. Um, I've come to the point where I realize I will. Well, who knows? Right. You get a tattoo and in 10 years it means nothing. Right. But in my head, it's uh, <laughs> I will go to school and it will likely be for psychology. It's just a question is in the next five years or after I retire. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I'm happy either way, I guess. But and, and nothing prevents you from doing reading on the front end. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the history of psychology, for example, just to get a rough idea of a what to expect but also when you hit that school Mm -hmm. which again you have access to people that have already been studying this should hopefully know you know what's valuable or invaluable Mm -hmm. not valuable what's also invaluable um right wrong etc and you can focus your conversations with them Mm because one of the other things about school is that it gives you access to people right Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and that's that's a resource of its own Mm -hmm. which you can't necessarily get by grabbing Carl Jung's books and just reading them. Right. Like somebody that's read through them and struggled through those things, that's really valuable. It's just like with Bible reading. I can sit down with the Bible, I can read it myself, and I can draw good things from it. It's more helpful if I can sit down with someone who's spent their life under, like striving for understanding and skip some of those intermediate struggling steps. Sure. So, I mean, I, on one hand, I would encourage moving into school. On the front end, I would also likewise encourage you to do reading, do, do some watching, listening on the front end. Right. Right. Well, no, I appreciate it. Travis Lucas, fun to break it down. Like I said, we could go down a thousand rabbit holes, but I think we did enough for today. Maybe a follow up in is in order sometime too. I wouldn't yeah, be opposed to be, it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having yeah. us. Logan. Thank you. Logan. Yeah. Hey guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have, and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.